Welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online. This week, we're discussing Sweet Valley Twins number 36, Mary is Missing. I'm Wing, I ship Ellen and Amy now, and I'm still waiting on werewolves in Sweet Valley. I'm here with my not-so-evil twins, Dove and Raven. I'm Dove, and I actually wrote the fic that ships Amy and Ellen just to appease Wing. I'm Raven, I enjoyed the fic that ships Amy and Ellen, and I'm not a real bird. In Mary is Missing, once again, everyone works themselves into a tizzy over money that is not actually missing. Mary, Giacchio Robinson Wallace, has the unicorn's treasury money and has missed a couple meetings, including one in which she was supposed to give a treasury report. Even Elizabeth agrees this is a big deal, capital letters, because Mary can always be trusted to do what she says she's going to do. Jessica tries to get answers for Mary's mother, but she brushes Jessica off in a very sketchy way. Even though a teacher tells Jessica that Mary is in Mexico doing research on a school project, Jessica isn't convinced and goes about searching for Mary, with Elizabeth and Amy's help, because Lila and Ellen are absolutely certain that Mary has taken the money and run away. I'm sure that's exactly where this is going, and not at all a similar story to the previous stories about, oh no, money is missing, oh there it is. Turns out, there really is a kidnapped girl in Sweet Valley, but she's not Mary, who actually is in Mexico with her former foster parents, and that's why her mother's being weird. The kidnapped girl is Becky Kern, who was kidnapped out of Los Angeles and hidden in Sweet Valley. Amy and Ellen are the first two into the house where Becky is being held, and though everyone ends up inside eventually, Ellen gives Amy all the credit for saving not only Becky from the kidnapper, but Ellen herself from being hurt. Lila and Jessica are less than impressed by how often Ellen starts talking about Amy after that, and though the books will never give us something so satisfying, Dove took care of that for us, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Anyway, Mary rocks up from Mexico, gives her treasury report, and she still has the money. So all is well in Sweet Valley. Excellent. Great recap. So what do people think of this one? I have two thoughts on it. And the first is, what the fuck? That was a pile of scribble. And the second thought is, that was amazing. It's because it's set up like Mary's mother has to say things in such misleading ways in order for the plot to progress, that it makes you just want to rip the book into shreds. But on the other hand, when the plot does progress, I really enjoy it. So I, I wish the setup had been better. That's exactly how I felt about it in reading it for the first time and recapping it. I love the actual story. The sleuthing is great. Jessica is really best Jess up, down, left, right, and center in this. I even really like how this ghostwriter appreciates and discusses the fact that even though Jessica and Elizabeth usually have very different friends, Mary is one that they share and who crosses lines that the unicorns draw. So all of that is great. And the actual saving the kidnapped girl, even though it's ridiculous soap opera, was a lot of fun. But the outline itself of the plot, what makes the plot actually happen, is so ridiculous. And so much relies on people carrying the stupid ball. And relies on people not opening up and saying stuff clearly. It, it just did not work for me there. But everything else is the best. I loved it. You see, I think you're both wrong. 
to be perfectly honest. I really <laughs> liked the fact that the stupid ball was being carried by everybody, especially Mary's mother. Because I think I mentioned this in your recap. What The way I saw that was Mary's foster parents have come in and taken Mary away from Mary's birth mother, who's having difficulties with Mary at the moment. They're not connecting as well as they might like. Um, so in order to facilitate that, they've taken Mary away so they can all spend some time apart. And I think that Mary's mother's reaction to that would be quite evasive and would be quite embarrassed um, when people are phoning up, where's Mary, where's Mary? She wouldn't want to go, well, yeah, I'm not doing as well as a, mo- a motherhood as I'd maybe like to be, so the foster parents have come in to help me. And so I can understand why that's that that's the driving motivation for her to be so evasive and be so well yeah she's uh she's at the mall or she's she's not here at the moment i'll get her to call you back or whatever so i i thought that was quite believable i think there's a center ground though between i'm having a terrible time as a mother all of that and the evasiveness that we get which is just a simple she's out of town yeah all she has to say i mean I'm surprised Mary doesn't actually tell people that she's out of town, uh, though there is that bit where she leaves a message with Stephen, but I'm surprised she hasn't told more people, like the unicorns, for example, that she's out of town. But it, even then, if her mother is is embarrassed, which I absolutely can buy that, that she's embarrassed, that she's upset, and this is not going the way they thought it would. We've already had an entire book about how they're not all connecting as a family the way they wanted, and Mary and her stepfather had to work through that. So it makes perfect sense that she and her mother are having trouble connecting. But the fact that so much of Jessica's need to find Mary is built on the fact that Mary's mother won't just say she's out of town, but is, you know, she can't do this or she's not here right now or I don't call again all of that is just ridiculous writing like you don't have to have everything out of the open or nothing out of the open a simple explanation would have made a lot more sense and I still think that Jessica being Jessica the ghostwriter could have written it as Jessica still being obsessed with finding Mary without it being built around this idea that Mary's mother can't say anything useful or the plot doesn't work yeah I mean I I I do get that i i suppose uh however we already have had a book in which jessica jumps to conclusions i believe it was called jumping to conclusions so treading that board treading that boardwalk again might might have been a little too much too soon wait are you <laughs> trying to imply that sweet valley doesn't double dip its plots i yeah, think fair you play. might even have a tag about that <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah fair, yeah. fair enough yeah yeah, to be honest, your point about it doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be, we tell you everything, we tell you nothing. So, yeah, I can I can see that. So, yeah, fair play. I was just going to say um, about Wing's point about why she hasn't told the unicorns. But remember when she confided in Jessica that the Altmans wanted to adopt her? Oh. And Jessica ran amok going, yay, Mary's getting adopted. Let's throw an adoption party. Let's put it in the paper. Let's write adoption all over the school walls. Yay, adoption. And that wasn't like Mary's cup of tea. Perhaps Mary was keeping that in mind when she didn't want to say that she was going away with the Altmans, just in case um, Jessica leapt to some sort of weird conclusion and rumours went round. But on the other side of it, before you guys can counter that, there's also the fact that Mary has 
repeatedly in books confided in the twins but not the rest of the unicorns so she's confided in them in this book she's already told them that she's having trouble with her mother and she doesn't actually have to say that she's leaving with the altmans but to not have told janet that she's going to be missing unicorn meetings because she's out of town seems very unlike mary if we buy that mary is someone who always does what she says she'll do she's very reliable that sort of person would have let the leader of the club she's in know that she's going to be gone even if she didn't give janet or anyone else all of the details but the thing she doesn't tell jessica elizabeth is that she's going out of town she already, they already know she's having all these troubles with her mother. So it feels like if she was worried about confiding in them, as she should be, based <laughs> on that example, uh, she's worried about the wrong thing here. Well, what about yeah. this then? Maybe we're missing a bit of the um, unwritten subtext here. Maybe she went off to Mexico at the end, or quite abruptly, uh, at the end of a large shouting match with her mother. And then the uh, the foster parents were parachuted in to, to sort of whisk her away. So she didn't get time to... Because that's the only way I can sort of justify her not... If she is this paragon of virtue and the person who would always tell people where she's going. She, there must have been a reason why she didn't. So that may be the reason. On the other hand, I also... I would read the shit out of the book where she goes... She phones and leaves a message with Jessica to say, yeah, I'm going to Mexico. And Jessica goes, right, Mary's becoming a bandit. And there's a huge story about that. Or, or yeah, Mary's going going to Mexico to help Trump build the wall or something ridiculous. That would have been amazing. I, I, I'd, I'd love that. <laughs> oh, my God, that's the greatest idea. That has made all of this stupidity around the framework of the story worth it to me just for that. <laughs> Okay, well, so we've discussed in depth why the framework does or does not work for us. Uh, what about the bulk of the plot itself? Dove and I both talked about how we really enjoy the sleuthing and all of that part. What about you, Raven? Yes, I really did enjoy that. I, uh, as I mentioned in the, 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 the conclusion of my comments for your uh, excellent recap, I, I thought the whole thing had a, a strange Lemony Snicket vibe. There was uh, a lot of... Hmm, a lot of workings out and uh, and deduction, but also very real peril all the way through. Um, uh, uh, Dove and I are currently rewatching a series of unfortunate events, the Netflix show, which is absolutely astounding. If you've ever read the books, or even if you haven't, Neil Patrick Harris is just perfect. Um, so I really appreciated that aspect of, of of the whole thing. I thought it was very well done. There were a few things which I thought were a slight leap too far if you take them in isolation for example i believe that they found a newspaper on the mall on a bench in the mall that had letters cut out of it which was obviously been used to make the ransom note for for to, to get the whole ball rolling and yeah. that seemed to be very very much sort of well we're having this now this is this is something that is very important and we'll start the plot with this ridiculous plot device. I, I love the idea that the kidnapper was sitting there on a bench in the mall, carefully cutting out their ransom note. Like they had their, their little supplies set out, like their glue and their rubber gloves. And everyone just walked past and went, oh, arts and crafts. Yeah. We took it into Staples and said, can I have a photocopy of this, please? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. There were a couple spots like that where it's... Uh, even worse than Mary's mother or not necessarily worse, I guess, but so Mary's mother is forced to say things that are ridiculous in some of our opinions to make the plot go. 
that's a point where it's another ridiculous event. Very coincidental that they happen to be there at this right time to find this newspaper and that the newspaper wasn't thrown away, that this was done in public, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a similar scene later in a library where the kidnappers messed up another newspaper that's been then returned to a library shelf. And there's all this coincidence that Elizabeth is, of course, the one to find it. So yeah, the, even the that fun plot itself has a lot of, oh, it's a good thing this happened right now or we would have gotten nowhere, which you know, a more in-depth mystery or a more adept mystery writer might have been able to put something together that worked better. But for once, I really kind of want to cut Sweet Valley some slack because it definitely reads with all that nostalgic coincidence of Nancy Drew or the Boxcar Children mysteries or uh, the Bobsy Twin mysteries, all of those classic mystery books for kids that, yeah, there's just sometimes a solid mystery with real or not real peril, but uh, coincidences happen to make it move along. So I was willing to cut that a little slack, which I realized as I'm saying this is very unusual for me and Sweet Valley. Yeah. Also, I just want to give the kidnapper kudos for only cutting out the necessary words. I'm assuming they must have had one of those cutting boards and a scalpel and um, a metal ruler to hand because uh, back in the 90s, there was this massive trend in my school. I don't know if it was like everywhere where you would cut um, letters out from Just 17 or whatever you were reading and label your folders with them like a ransom note. And we used to do that at lunch and stuff. And so one of us had just rip out a page of our magazine and then we'd all share out the letters and it would be fucking carnage so I'm, I'm i'm well impressed at how precise that kidnapper was cutting and pasting and it was all very neat maybe they had like a cabal of kidnappers maybe they all got together for for coffee at the mall and they're like right i'm kidnapping this person and you're kidnapping that person i need the word police has anyone got the paper with the word police oh fantastic i'll have that off you would you like the the the, the word severed ear i've got severed ear you can have severed ear if you want and they just sort of traded it amongst themselves so maybe this paper that they found was only one of about a thousand papers that were dotted around the mall somewhere slightly less coincidental in that case very handy that um all those words if that's what happened all those words came out of the one paper otherwise elizabeth would have just had like zebra and peacoat and boing and just be like what the fuck is going on here that'd be great it's like yes what what do you mean i've got to go and kidnap someone from the zoo <laughs> I've got, I've got, how the hell are we gonna hide a zebra in <laughs> in a suburban house in the middle of street valley Okay, so now I have four thoughts to follow up on. Let's start with, I guess, the latest one. Uh, there is actually a Babysitter's Club book about animals going missing from a zoo, and it's one of the mystery books, so <laughs> nice. we'll get there eventually. This fun, lighthearted cabal of kidnappers is Sweet Valley. When we get to Bleak Valley, it's much darker and more dangerous. I can already <laughs> tell where it's going. Yeah, they're actually going to hand over a severed ear, not the words. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure we'll be able to come up with some very impressive Bleak Valley stuff for this book, I tell you. I'm excited. And then the two that go together. One, I am very impressed by your guys' dedication when you were younger, Dove, about decorating your folders and stuff as kidnapper notes. That's much more work than we ever put into it. Number two, I think it's very telling that you call it a scalpel and we call it an X-Acto knife. One sounds like it's made for arts and crafts. One sounds like it's made for dismembering bodies, so... <laughs> well, you've got to make your own uh, entertainments when you live in Britain. Apparently. 
One thing I did enjoy about the, the the weird coincidences that we were saying was when they were overhearing Mary's mother talking on the phone to um, what they thought was the kidnappers saying, yes, small bills only, yes, I'll make sure I'm under the bridge. I can't even remember what the thing was, but when you read what she was saying as the girls were listening, it all sounded very plausible that a kidnapping had occurred. But when they explained that later on, I, for one, was like, fair enough, yeah. Uh, it, it didn't seem like too much of a leap to me. It was like, yes, yeah, what she was saying, she, I think she was, instead of talking to the kidnapper, she was talking to Goodwill or something. She was going to be taking some things of Mary's down to, to Goodwill. Yes, it's all unmarked, the small stuff only, or something very close to that sentence. That's it. And, you know, the the, the girls took it to be it was all going to be unmarked bills in the in a, in a case somewhere, whereas it was actually going to be the clothes are all unmarked and they're all, you know, clean, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah, it, 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 it all came across as quite believable at that stage. I, do, I agree. I think that was the one part where the comparison to what we see through Jessica and Elizabeth versus what is meant to be said in reality worked well. Like, both of those stood on their own as conversations that could have happened. And I liked that, which actually saying this now makes me even sadder that the ghostwriter couldn't take that sort of fun realism, not really realism, but that fun bit of actual working on both levels and put it throughout the entire plot. I have to say, I'm just really liking this Jamie Suzanne. I'm not quite sure where she started, and I know she's going to tail off soon because we're getting into the team Grapplegate, as Raven calls them. <laughs> but uh, this book, um, The War Between the Twins, what did we do last? Either way, like we've we've had a good run of books, and I think this ja- this Jamie Suzanne is just one person or a team of writers who write together. And you know, I I like this Jamie Suzanne. She she or they are putting in a lot more effort than some of the shit Jamie Suzannes who've been responsible for things like uh, the East German gymnastics team book and shit like that. Yeah, I mean it's weird. I I I do agree. I think that this Jamie Suzanne is writing with a bit of joy, so that definitely comes across in the text. The issue with that is. It's not necessarily a host of different Jamie Suzannes at this stage, I don't think. It could quite well be the same Jamie Suzanne who's just been given two very different and very polarising outlines. It's like, read about Mary where she's part of a false kidnapping. That's quite exciting. We can do that. I remember reading all the Nancy Drew books and doing all that. Yeah, I'll I'll grasp that. What's the next one I've got to do? Oh, a defection story about East German gymnasts. Really? I can't be asked with that. Let's just dial it in. Actually, come to think of it, I was just about to say that this Jamie Suzanne's very good at foreshadowing, but I get the feeling that that, that book had foreshadowing too, so she might have actually been responsible for that. I retract. You're right. It's probably the story. This Jamie Suzanne is very enjoyable, but the story that she is given to write clearly helps. It's hard to know without having an actual concrete list of which ghostwriter was being Jamie Suzanne at the time because there are there's some really great plots and there's some really 
terrible plots. And even within the good plots, for example, there's books that are written well and books that are not written well, but it really could be all the same writer, just having less time on a certain book or not enjoying the plot as much or whatever, or it could be a different writer each book. It's really, really hard to tell because we do know that there are different people at different times. We have had a really good run of stories that have been overall done well, especially the last book of the last set we did, which I can't believe you couldn't remember because it was your beloved The Christmas Ghost. No, no, no. Well, I know that, but that's um, Team Grapplegate. They did the Christmas uh, stories. So, I mean, when I asked Michael Grant about that, he said he did all the Christmas stories, but I get the feeling that he doesn't realise that they kept publishing loads and loads of Christmas stories after Team Grapplegate left the building. So, Well, more, I was just curious as to how this one fit in amongst the other Jamie Suzanne's like, did they just pull Team Grapplegate uh, in to write the Super Chiller and then brought them on as regular J.B. Suzanne's? I wonder, like, how does this one fit in with other J.B. Suzanne's was my surprise more than anything. To be honest, I think that the Christmas Ghost should have been further along. And I think it should have come after Elizabeth's first kiss because the whole Elizabeth and Todd thing, for you two who've who've never read the series before... We're just like, well, who the who the hell's Todd? Did you just spoil Elizabeth's first kiss for me? Well, no, the Christmas ghost did that for you. I, I was just pointing it out. Well, no, all I knew was that in high all I knew was that in high school she there was Todd's on the front here. cover of Elizabeth's first kiss. I'm not taking the hit for this. Has he got a t shirt? Hang on, yeah, yeah. Has he, has he got a t shirt with I'm Todd on it? <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, around here he could, but he doesn't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he does not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Todd, even though my face is the same as every other 13-year-old in the Sweet Valley. Yeah, he's basically the only one with brown hair. What? There's at least three other characters with brown hair. He's the only one with brown hair? (laughs) Ah, well, I'm sure you'll get over it. Uh, To be fair, the the whole spoilers thing, it's like, how long has this book been out for? (laughs) I don't care. This is the first time I've read it. That's the whole point of me being here. Well, don't worry, it's only one of Elizabeth's first kisses that has been spoiled. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty more. Yeah. And you've also got Elizabeth's first trip to third base to, to look forward to, so don't worry. <laughs> I bet that's out there on the internet somewhere. Yeah, I'm that sure wouldn't surprise me. I still want Jessica's first murder. Oh, we've long past that, that threshold. I know, but no one gave me the story of it, so... <laughs> don't worry, I'm sure you can read the court summaries when we get to university. Am I going to have to write about Roberta Manning? Probably, yes. Oh, that for would fuck's be the sake. That's happening, yes. Yeah, why not? None of the ghostwriters do, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so recaps. I believe that's what we're here for. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the other things I really enjoyed about this book was that when they all decided to go into the kidnapper's house, it wasn't the Wakefields leading the charge. Um, was it Ellen who went in first and then Amy followed or was it Amy and then Ellen No, followed? it was Ellen. It Ellen was... goes in first. I yes. love Ellen. Yes, we know you love Ellen. She's awesome. Um, we all love Ellen, to be fair. Um, but yeah, she she was the one who went, right, I'm going. And she sort of ran off and dived in. And then and then Amy went in to, to follow and, say, and, and save her. And that's great because in every other book, it's always been the Wakefields taking charge and the Wakefields leading the 
the cavalry into battle or whatever they're doing. So to have some of the peripherals doing important stuff and actually driving the narrative in a book that, well, all right, is about Mary, um, although she's not in it until the last chapter, then that was good, I thought. Yeah, I liked that. But I absolutely love Ellen. I find it easier just to disregard the whole episode where she bullied Ginny Lou because it's completely out of character not the not the bullying but the leading of the bullying so so yeah I love the fact and I loved her and Amy's interaction like once Amy had saved her uh from the kidnapper and I really wished that they'd carried that on because I you know to be fair that would be a great gag the idea that a unicorn is besotted with a stringy-haired tomboy who is already ruffling feathers by being a booster. I agree, obviously, with all of that, uh, especially Ellen being wonderful. And especially, I think that it's a shame now that she was the one leading the bullying on Jenny Lou, because here, the whole reason she goes into the house first during this big climax is because she's been a follower the whole book and dragging her feet, and she does she's scared, and she doesn't want to do this, and she finally gets tired of it calling her out on that so she's going to show them that she can take charge and lead something and that would have been even more powerful and it is actually fairly powerful for such a shallow series uh if she had not been already shown leading something by leading the bullying of Ginny Lou like I absolutely think she could have bullied and would have bullied but it would have oh, been definitely. her following Lila or Janet or even Jessica not her leading it uh, so I think if we remember that which Obviously, most ghostwriters just ignore what doesn't work. So I guess we should, too. Uh, This is a better story without that because she's only overcoming kind of being an asshole as a follower to people like Amy. But she's also showing that, hey, I can do stuff, too. I am proactive. I can lead. And that's a, a better story and a fun story. And even more fun when she does this. And obviously it blows up in her face as it so often does with Jessica's leading, for example, but that she has to be saved because she's thrown herself into the situation that none of them should have thrown themselves into, really. So that was actually kind of great fun, too. Agreed. Yeah. It would be nice if it had stuck because awesome. And I love Ellen. That's just it, really. I do too. And I really loved Amy around Ellen. Like I don't always like Amy, mostly because she often gets shunted off to the side for whoever Elizabeth's new best friend of the book is. So we don't get to see a ton of consistency out of her, which again, yes, I know this is Sweet Valley. Asking for consistency is asking for a lot, but I really liked Amy here. So that was fun. Mm, Yeah, fair. (laughs) I don't really forgive Amy since, was it the Ithig book where she was being, why aren't you telling us this secret? I'm your best friend, you should tell us this secret, and then just waltzing off with Lila, is it? Yeah. And yeah, and that's just like, oh, Amy, just fuck off. Um, although she did redeem herself a little in Amy's pen pal, uh, because at first, at least, her friendship with um, Samantha Williams was quite well well done until Samantha decided, hi, I invented space, and, and you know, started telling all the people that she was, I don't know, Gandhi. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Amy, Amy, I wax and wane on Amy. I just can't stand her all the time. So, <laughs> so actually reading some scenes like 
like I said in Amy's pen pal, there are so um, throughout that book I can't help but side with her, uh, but generally I don't like her. So I do like it when a writer does something that makes her interesting to me. And Amy's pen pal was one, and uh, this book was another because she actually got to do stuff, and she's usually just so pointless. And I go back to hating her in the next book, and I'll discuss that when I get there. So hmm. fair, fair. One thing, and I think I just completely blocked if they out, except we make fun of it for being the worst book ever. <laughs> I'd forgotten that she flounced off with Lila. So really, Amy's just working her way through the unicorns, isn't she? I could get behind this series. Yeah, she is. She's a closet unicorn. She actually really, she's got loads of purple things that she never dares wear when she's around uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, a closet unicorn, that's mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> well... Um, she's not actually in the beginning of Sweet Valley High, so... What? Mm, yeah. You're full of spoilers this week. What's going on? Yeah. Stephen dies at the end of the twin series. He's not in them at all. I would cheer so hard. I would throw the biggest eats himself to death. (laughs) To be honest, if that happened, that would be the name of our site. Yay, Stephen Wakefield is fucking dead dot com. (laughs) <laughs> Alright, that seems a little long, but you look at me our <laughs> I think Stephen Wakefield performs a valuable service in Sweet Valley. That service changes at the whims of the ghostwriter, but whatever needs to be done, Stephen will do it. If he's got to be an idiot, he will. If he's got to be a pervert, he will. If he's got to be that person who is actually helping his sisters, he will do that too. Yes, every village needs an idiot. This is true. And he's ours. Oh, makes me sad. Okay, anything else to say about this book? No, generally overall, loved it. Yeah, it was a good way to start the year, as I think uh, Wing said in a recap. It was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we talked not very long ago about how much we all enjoy the sleuthing books anyway, especially when Jessica's the one leading the uh, sleuthing and trying to solve yes. the mystery. Because she, as you said earlier, does jump to conclusions all the time. But also, she's just fun when she goes and does these things. So I like this sort of adventure driven by Jessica. So yeah, I think we covered it really well. And it was a, it was a fun read and a good way to start the year. Yeah. Um, before we rate our books, which is a new thing that we'll be doing now with all the podcasts, we'll be putting our group, uh, our books, <clears throat> we'll be putting the books into categories. We'll do this after we've done Bleak Valley, of course, because we know that that's one of the particular highlights and joys of our podcast. So, uh, Bleak Valley. I just really feel that this is this is Wing's area because you know, whenever I write with Wing, she's always like, "Can we kill him?" Like all of, all about my favorite characters. She's just like, "Yeah, I know you really like so and so, but wouldn't it be great if we killed them?" So I just feel this is Wing's remit. Um, you know, we've got a slightly dark. We've you know one of the darker stories we've we've read so far in Sweet Valley, and I just feel this is Wing's wheelhouse. No pressure.
I feel like Dove is not being entirely fair. I don't just say, Dove, you love this character, let's kill them. I also say, I love this character, let's kill them. I just enjoy killing characters. That's just my thing. See, I am the Jessica, not the Elizabeth, goddammit. Ah. School paper. Jessica wrote for the school paper. Her own very, her very Jessica own Jessica started paper. her own school paper, yeah, as, as Raven says. I've never seen you wear purple. I actually own quite a bit of purple, which makes it very weird that you've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, so does Amy, but she keeps her in the closet. I'm also a closet unicorn. <laughs> uh, okay, so Bleak, Bleak Valley. Valley. <laughs> so much for the dark and depressing. So I don't actually know how to work it into Bleak Valley in that Bleak Valley Elizabeth knows about anything to make the story lighter. But I feel like they're bleak valley story that would have been happening is that there's a bunch of girls disappearing from sweet valley los angeles southern california in a human trafficking ring i mean that's basically the bleak valley version of this wow people are being kidnapped and they're young girls well bleak valley okay that's pretty bleak and to the point isn't it for a moment, I actually wondered if uh, Bleak Valley Elizabeth was the kidnapped girl, and unfortunately, nobody saved her. Uh, but I don't know whether we've... Um, it's hard to remember every single conversation we've ever had. So I don't know whether we've absolutely if ruled that out. them and put them down. <laughs> Rosie's listened to everything we've said. Maybe she can let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Rosie, can you be our, our official... Um, historian. historian. Bleak, Bleak Valley historian. <laughs> I like that. That's useful. Yay, Rosie. Well, if Elizabeth, Bleak Elizabeth, is indeed a kidnapped girl, then wouldn't that make, not a mockery of, or it definitely put a different slant on the whole sibling thing? Well, not if you think about it in, like, say, the Stephen Stainer uh, way of things, where she was taken very, very young and told that her parents didn't want her anymore, and these are now her parents, and you have to call us mum and dad, and she's just been living with that for, like, eight or nine years. Uh, that's what happened to Steve Stainer. He actually went to school, tried to function in society, etc., so... You know, I know it could well contradict plenty of stuff that we've already laid down. Well, you know, I mean, the history of Bleak Valley is ours to to play with, isn't it? So I guess if we wanted to say, right, we're, we're starting, a, we're having a Bleak Valley reset for 2018. We don't need to, we don't need to adhere to the Bleak Valley canon that we've set out <laughs> already. We can reinvent it slightly and say that, Elizabeth Bleak Valley Elizabeth isn't actually a Wakefield. Yeah, I mean, because the sibling could still work. Um, Alice or Ned could have had a child from a previous relationship, and the other parent of that child could have been. What what what's the phrase I'm looking for? The person who looks after it all the time, you know, the primary caregiver. That's it. And then the child has come to live with the other parent for reasons. So, like, on the one hand, I don't think we need to adhere too strongly to any given plot or analysis of Bleak Valley that we've done for a couple of reasons. One, while I like building this kind of big picture idea of what Bleak Valley is, Bleak Valley is ours and could be a lot of things. And then for the other, Sweet Valley certainly doesn't adhere to previous plots and discussions <laughs> of books all the time. So why should we? I do think, though, that 
Elizabeth as a, a girl who's been human trafficked doesn't work for me if we think of her as the girl who is trapped in the basement. Like, that's the part that kills it for me, because why in the world would this netted Alice buy another kid? That's true. True, yeah. You're right. I, mean, I, 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 I too am of the opinion that we don't make Bleak Valley uh, Elizabeth a kidnap victim, partly because it would be a massive um, change and shift in the dynamic in the house, and it's an unbelievable change and shift almost, as you've said, but mainly because when we read Sweet Valley books and we spot things that are continuity, uh, we spot things that are in the continuity wrong we rip the shit out of them. <laughs> and I don't want to be the podcast where people are listening to it going, I, I think you'll find, if you listen to episode four of the podcast, you said that Bleak Valley Elizabeth was actually the biological daughter of Ned and Alice, but now she's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go down that road if we have to. I want to be the person snarking, not being snarked. You know what? I kind of disagree with that. <laughs> being the the podcast that's being starked means that people are listening and caring enough to stark. Like, as you've seen with, as we branched out into Nostalgic Bookshelf and then with the Devil's Elbow, which does the point horror and teen genre like that, if you, if you hate something, so you feel strongly in that way, you have a lot to say. And if you love something, you have a lot to say. But if you just don't give a fuck about it, you don't really have anything to say. So I'd much rather have people feel strongly one way or the other. And if that means that they stark what we're doing, that's great. They're still listening and caring. So, you know, I can handle being starked, I think. I'd enjoy that. I, I just don't want to be E.L. James level of hated and snarked. Like, you've got to walk the line. That's fair. Though, I think the difference there is that she thinks what she did does not deserve to be snarked. Like she thinks, yeah. or at least the pr public presentation is that she thinks it's a good story. Uh, if you're aware that what you're doing isn't, I mean, Bleak Valley, we could, Bleak Valley's weird in itself. But we could also take it as not continuity driven because of all these reasons. If we choose to do that, that means we're opening it up for Sark from people like us. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go through that bit again. Okay. I think we should agree to draw a line under the Bleak Valley for this book and let our audience decide whether they believe Bleak Valley Elizabeth to be a victim of human trafficking or Bleak Valley Elizabeth to be the downtrodden progeny of Sweet Valley's most hideous of inhabitants, Bleak Valley Ned and Alice. I can agree to draw a line here, though I do want to just quickly say that if she is the actual downtrodden progeny, uh, my guess would be that she heard a story about human traffic girls or kidnapped girls and then spun it out into what we get with Mary is missing, where there's some real peril, but everyone's going to come through at the end and Mary herself is not in any real peril. So I can see either way as being super dark Bleak Valley or slightly less dark Bleak Valley. But I would love to hear from the listeners, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I will actually say that I agree with both of you that um, I don't think she is. I think she is Ned and Alice's, well, at least one of their ch uh, biological child. Yeah, the human trafficking aspect of it doesn't really hold up. I also think that if we go with that, which I think we should, that 
that the human trafficking thing is just something she's read about. I think it's incredibly bleak to consider her fantasizing about human trafficked girls and having their existence to being slightly less bleak than her own. Yeah, because at least that kid is upstairs. Well, even then, they're saved. And the story she comes up with, they're saved. Everyone is safe in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Bleak Valley Elizabeth. Although, um, if you think about it, uh, neither of the Wakefields saved the kidnapped girl. It was the unexpected Ellen and Amy combo that freed her. The Wakefields just charged in when everyone was, you know, knocked out. And um, so maybe she's still acknowledging that she doesn't have the strength to save herself just yet. The Wakefields basically rocked up when everything was done and tried to take credit for it, or people tried to give them credit for it, which just cracks me up. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, before we wrap up this one, uh, Wing, I believe you wanted to say something about the Ellen and Amy's relationship. Yes, I did. Uh, I super ship Ellen and Amy's relationship, obviously, as I've said on this podcast and in my recap itself. And I just did this kind of throwaway thing where we always see that says, hey, that would make a great fanfic. And then Dove made it into an excellent fanfic linked on the site, Five Days to Change the World. It not only has Ellen and Amy, but it has dating and girls dating and boys dating and secret uh, discussions and Jessica and Lila being snarky and fantastic and a newspaper that actually has a point to the story. So you should definitely go read it. Agreed. It was wonderful. Thank you. I'm all blushy and, and bashful now. I'll be under my desk. Well, don't do that. We still have recording to do. <laughs> this is true. So, Wing, do you want to take us to the bridge? Sure. So we are starting a new thing that is a book category for each uh, week, each book we read. And our categories are stupendous. And I do little hand gestures with it. I don't know if anyone else will. Uh, good, meh, bad, and kill it with fire, which, you know, for the first half of last year would have been my go-to. This one falls somewhere between stupendous and good for me. I think that if it hadn't had the stuff with Mary's mother being so ridiculous over what she won't tell Jessica or any of Mary's other friends, if she had just said Mary's out of town and everything else would have happened, it would have been a stupendous book for me. But as it is, it's a little better than good, but not quite there. I actually agree thoroughly with that assessment. I I have nothing new to say. I agree. I'll put it as good because it has to be at least one of the words. But I do believe that it has eked out a little bit like good plus plus, you know? I do like how we've come up with this new uh, categorizing and I immediately go, fuck it, I can't be boxed in. (laughs) Fair. Well, I am... Almost in agreement. I'm going to put this as a solid good. I think a stupendous book has to have something that's a little, a little more. And while this was pushing that in that direction, it didn't quite get there for me. But a solid good is going to be a top 10 percentile for me. Um, Very, very good book. And, you know, five out of seven would read again. Uh, Just out of interest, sorry, before we, uh, just for context for anyone listening, what would you say a stupendous book was? Dumb did the hand gestures. Ah. Well, personally, I would put two books that I've read so far. 
as stupendous. Ithic and the class trip. <laughs> Behave yourself. Kill them both with fire. <laughs> Fire's too good for those books. Um, no, the two books that I would put as stupendous would be The Older Boy and Jumping to Conclusions. What about everybody else? I should imagine whatever we said in our previous podcast, summing up the year, going, you know, best books, worst books. But I know that jumping to conclusions goes in there. I just wanted to clarify. That's fair. Yeah, yeah mine would definitely be Jessica on stage and Jessica the rock star, uh, which were a part of my top three for last year. So I could absolutely see that. And I don't like I don't know, except for those two. I'm not entirely sure that even the Christmas ghost reaches stupendous for me, but the other two did. So it's going to be hard to get up there. And since I believe you round down, if you're in between categories, mine would fall under good as well. I uh, do analysis for a living and I'm already imagining the spreadsheets and the graphs and things like that. It's it's going to get incredibly nerdy over in, in Dove's head in a minute. Excellent going to get incredibly dirty i think you're already there Fair. so we've gone everywhere from deep dark human trafficking to jaunty sleuthing this has been a great podcast episode thank you guys for listening bye guys bye 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 thank you for listening to this week's episode of the sweet valley online podcast we discussed sweet valley twins number 36 mary is missing recorded on the 14th of January, 2018. You can access all our past recaps and podcasts at sweetvalley.online, which is a member of the Nostalgic Bookshelf Network. Check us out on facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline or Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. He can be contacted at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com for all your own musical needs. We each can be found on Twitter under sweetvalley underscore for Dove, Devil's Elbow Pod for Wing, and Bookshelf underscore Raven for Raven. Next week, we'll be talking about Sweet Valley Twins number 37, The War Between the Twins. Be sure to join us for that book on the 26th of January. Until then, something pithy goes here.